ESPN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply the best portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. When pagan man defies God by worshiping creatures, God displays his wrath upon them, upon him by letting them violate the created order of sexuality and they suffer the consequences. In other words, when man forsakes the author of creation, then he also forsakes the order of creation. They suffer the consequences. You have probably heard the stories of kids putting peanut butter and jelly sandwiches into mom and dad's VCR. What a mess that would make. But the inconvenience of misusing a VCR isn't all that significant in the grand scheme of things. What does have serious consequences is the misuse of our God-given bodies. Pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff will be considering some of those consequences today as he concludes a three-part message from Romans chapter 1 about the wrath of God. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. At Verse by Verse Ministries, we are pleased to have the privilege of adapting his practical and biblically sound messages to the broadcast format. There are many people who claim that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. To make that claim requires some impressive mental gymnastics, as we will see today on Verse by Verse. One example of God's hatred of homosexual behavior is found in Genesis chapter 19, the story of the doom of Sodom and Gomorrah. You are probably familiar with the attempt by the men of that place to rape the angels who had come to warn Lot. Lot must have been terrified because in his desperation he offered his virgin daughters to the men in an attempt to protect his guests. So now here is Pastor Steve with the rest of the story. Now Lot was absolutely wrong. He shouldn't have offered his his daughters, but at least Lot understood what they wanted. And in Lot's thinking, and we're not saying this is right, but in Lot's thinking, he felt that that raping their daughters would be better than raping these men. But they said, and they they wanted nothing to do with these women, they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we'll treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men, that is the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the men said to Lot, Whom else have you here, a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are come to destroy this place because their, their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now, you know how the pro-homosexual church theologians read this story? And you know how, what their conclusions are? They say Sodom's sin was really a lack of hospitality. Now, I kid you not. They say Sodom's sin was a lack of hospitality. They say that Lot angered the men of Sodom by receiving foreigners whose credentials hadn't been examined. And they thought they were spies. They say that their sin was being extremely discourteous 
to these gifts. I want you to know that, and I don't even, it's it's hard for me to even try to explain that. It's so obvious, but if if sin was being discourteous to strangers, that was a sin, then, then why did Lot offer his two virgin daughters? Now, lack of hospitality is a sin, no question about it, but God doesn't destroy cities because of the sin of lack of hospitality. And why would, would uh, lack of hospitality make them so lustful as to seek the door after being blinded? Only the perverted passions of obsession with homosexuality could do that. And, and Jude chapter, well, Jude verse 7 is a common, you don't need to turn there, but, but Jude says that the sin of Sodom was going after strange flesh. The next place the Bible mentions it is Leviticus Chapter 18, verse 22, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Chapter 20, verse 13, If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act, and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. That's what the Old Testament says for the most part. And there are other places that speak of the sin of Sodom and so forth. But, but these are the two primary places. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the very clear teaching in the law of God that it is an abomination. I remember telling a homosexual that God says that it, it is an abomination. It is not an alternative lifestyle. And he said to me, well, I've never even seen that in the Bible, that word abomination. And my response was, it's there. What does the New Testament say about it? I want you to know that as you move from one testament to the other, God's standards of righteousness never change. If it was immoral in the Old Testament, it is immoral in the New Testament. The only difference is that under the Old Testament law, homosexuals were to be executed. While under the New Testament dispensation of grace, they are to be warned that their activity is sinful and under the wrath of God. Don't go around executing people. For that, we are not under the law, but we are to tell them that it's wrong and sinful and under the wrath of God. Now, apart from Romans chapter 1, there are two other specific places in the New Testament that address the issue of homosexuality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. And then he goes on, he says, neither shall others. Now, there is no such thing as someone who's, who's a believer who is committed to that sin. There are believers who struggle with that. In fact, there are probably many, many believers who struggle with that. But that does not mean that they are classified as that. No longer are they homosexuals when you struggle with it and want deliverance from it as a believer. But if you approve of it and you are content with it, and you feel that it's proper and right and don't even desire to have a change and deliverance, the Bible says you are not a believer in spite of all the prayers that you may have said and so forth. But this, uh, Paul uses two words here, effeminate and homosexuals. And what's the difference? The term effeminate most likely means the passive person in a homosexual relationship. And the homosexual would be the practicing person, the one who pursues that relationship. Also, it's found in First. Timothy chapter 1, 
You don't need to turn there, verses 8 through 10, and Paul says that homosexuality is contrary to sound doctrine. Contrary to sound doctrine. Now, getting back to Romans chapter 1, Paul says that pagan society is characterized by homosexuality because God gave an idolatrous man over to his own lustful passions. That's the whole point here. When pagan man defies God by worshiping creatures, God displays his wrath upon them, upon him by letting them violate the created order of sexuality and they suffer the consequences. In other words, when man forsakes the author of creation, then he also forsakes, at least he's capable of, the order of creation. They suffer the consequences. What are the consequences? Look at verse 27. It says that at the end of it, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. What's the due penalty? In other words, that's the wrath of God. What's the due penalty of their error? Well, let me say that the expression gay absolutely doesn't describe the way homosexuals are. In fact, they are anything but gay. If you know a homosexual, you know that that is a term that should not be used with them, at least that does not describe it. It is really a propaganda term that hides the loneliness their lifestyle imposes upon them. Homosexuals face a much higher suicide rate than heterosexuals. They face a much higher disease rate than heterosexuals. And I'm not just talking about the new thing with AIDS, but uh, even back in 1976, the San Francisco Chronicle reported that the operator of a large venereal disease clinic in the city of San Francisco said that 70% of its clients were homosexuals. Not only that, but there are many things that a homosexual suffers from. Now, I'm going to read some of the list, but there are, uh, the, and, and you might say, but wait a second, non-homosexuals have the same problems. You're, you're absolutely right. But it seems that uh, these consequences are intensified in homosexuals. There is, and I'm just going to read some of these off and maybe have a word or so about them. There, it is a life of deceitfulness. That's a, that's a penalty. As, as many of them suffer wondering, should they come out of the closet? Who do they let know? It's a life of deceitfulness. There's guilt. More guilt than probably any one of us who have never experienced that sin will ever know. More feelings of guilt. Depression, an incredible lifestyle of selfishness. They go from one partner to another partner to another partner. Now, I'm speaking of generalities. There's always exceptions to the rule. Rejection by others, incredible rejection by parents, by friends, by relatives, by business associates. Difficulty in maintaining lasting relationships. There's numerous transitory relationships and much disappointment and heartache. Difficulty of self-acceptance. Increased hostility, especially anger towards women by men and vice versa by women. Lack of a family. Many homosexuals long to have a family. They really they long for that. That may, that may come as a surprise to you, but they long for that. Constant fear of aging. Constant fear. And poor health. That's what Paul means. All that is involved in suffering, receiving the due their in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Pagan society has always been characterized by immorality in which homosexuality is just one form of it. The Greek world was filled with homosexuals. Many of the leading people who you and I read about were homosexuals. Socrates, Plato, Alexander the Great, Macho Alexander the Great, 
had both male and female lovers. In fact, Greek warriors went to war with their homosexual partners at their side because their leaders felt that it helped produce battlefield valor since they fought so fiercely to protect their lovers. In Rome, the city that Paul was addressing, that city was very familiar with this sin. Fourteen of the first fifteen Caesars were homosexuals. I can't even repeat to you some of the things that they did. The city catered to the sin by even having public baths for homosexuals. And what was true in pagan Greece, Rome, Egypt, every pagan culture is also true in pagan America and the world. Homosexuality is on the rise because the restraints have been removed by God as we have moved into idolatry and we worship everything but God. God has pulled off the restraints and it's on the rise. I think I mentioned before, it's estimated that 10 million people are homosexual in America. In 1983, I don't have the 84 statistics, 77,119 people were arrested for sex offenses other than rape and prostitution. About a, a thousand of them, by the way, would be in the city of Tampa. 5,323 were under 15 years of age. 421 were under 10 years of age. 1,325 were 10 to 12 years old. It is increasing. The restraints have been removed. It is only going to get worse, and it will continue to get worse and increase. Why? Because there is no solution apart from faith in Jesus Christ. There is no solution to the sin problem. Laws don't curb it. They only make it illegal. You see, God's wrath is dealing with man so that man might see that he's desperate for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has no other alternative. It's either go deeper into the sin or in desperation cry out to the Lord for forgiveness and deliverance. Man in himself doesn't have the capacity to deliver himself. And when we come to the end of ourselves, we can see that the Lord Jesus Christ has been waiting there to deliver us. Can he deliver a homosexual? Well, if it's something you're born with, no. But if it's a sin, and it is a sin, then yes. Can he deliver a, an adulterer? Absolutely. Then he certainly can deliver a homosexual. And there are many homosexuals who can attest to the uh, saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the freedom that he does that he does deliver. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. We read this before, but I'm going to take it a step further. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And you, you ought to either turn there or mark this verse down. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And look at this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. Why did you need to be washed? Because it was filthy. You needed to be cleansed. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Look, the Corinthian church was made up of former homosexuals and lesbians. There may be many here today who have never, never even expressed it, that they were saved out of a life of that. But that's wonderful if you were saved from that. We don't, we don't want to look down upon you for that. Because we don't stand in, in uh, holier-than-thou attitudes. We're all sinners. Just because one participates in a sin like that doesn't make him any worse than anyone else. How are you delivered from homosexuality? Because I recognize there may be some struggling with that right here. Say no. Yeah? Maybe right here. Certainly listening to the tape. 
First of all, you must face homosexuality as a sin. It's not a genetic defect. It is a sin. When you face that, you can deal with it as a sin. If you don't face that, you can't go any step further. And then you must see that Jesus Christ is the one who paid for that sin and for others. But it is a sin that can be forgiven. You accept Christ as your Savior. And then the battle really begins because you must make sure that your thought patterns don't revert back. You must not dwell on it. You must not fantasize about it. You must make sure that your mind is thinking about pure and wholesome things. You must recondition your mind. It's all in the mind. Will you be tempted? Yes, you will. You may even fall on occasion. You don't have to, but you may even do that. You'll still be tempted, but don't give in. If you do, you just confess it. 1 John 1, 9, you confess it, and you accept Christ's forgiveness, and you forgive yourself, and you go on. Now, that's if you have a sin problem in that area, but I want to, just in a moment or so, address the, all of us as a church body. And what's to be our response to people who are caught in this sin? The same response to anyone in any sin. A refusal to compromise biblical standards and truths towards sin, but a compassionate, concerned, loving heart for the sinner. Now, this has really burdened me this week because the church tends, and I mean the church at large, tends to not want anything to do with homosexuals. And I'm not saying you invite them into the fellowship of the church. People who, who claim they're Christians in practice that you put out of the fellowship of the church. But I'm talking about those who don't know Christ or those who are struggling in that sin and do know Christ. What was the Lord's attitude? The Lord has love for all people. And he ministered to prostitutes, to adulterers, to corrupt tax collectors, to anybody, regardless of their sin. Although homosexuality is a repulsive sin, it is even difficult for me to, to speak on. It is repulsive. There's no question about it. I remind you that all sin is repulsive to God. Your sin is repulsive to God. My sin is repulsive to God. We are saved from sin. And if you have hatred for people who commit homosexual acts, then you really have a spiritual problem. You hate the sin, but you love the sinner. And if you have nothing in your heart but hatred for the person, then that indicates a spiritual problem that you have that you need to take care of. One Bible teacher put it this way. He said, homosexuality is a blight on humanity, but homosexuals are sinners who desperately need Jesus Christ, and we will never reach them with his love until we first extend them our own love. Remember, Paul said he was the chief of sinners. He was a murderer, blasphemer, injurious. I close with this. I take this and I'm going to read from the January 1982 edition of Moody Monthly in which a woman who did not identify herself wrote an article called Out of the Closet Into the Light. She was a homosexual and this story is her struggle. Her struggle, she, and most of the story is she's finally come to Christ. She knows she's been forgiven, but then the real struggle began. You want to know how, how a homosexual struggles, thinks, and what the church's attitude ought to be? Then listen to this. She writes, three years, thank God I had finally come through. Or had I? True, people trusted me, but they trusted me as I had become. No one knew about my past. I was in leadership positions. If those around me knew the truth, 
Would they trust me to lead Bible studies or counsel and help young, younger Christians grow? I quickly found the church was singularly unresponsive to the needs of those struggling with homosexuality. Some condemned, others closed their eyes. Christians seemed ready to help unwed mothers, drug addicts, alcoholics, adulterers. With arms wide open, they proclaimed Christ's power to renew and forgive. But I felt they regarded homosexuality as the unpardonable sin, the unholy of unholies. Men and women struggling to overcome their sin were acid, a corrupted, corrosive force in the church. No one was willing to touch them, not spiritually and certainly not physically. So I never spoke of my past, never included uh, homosexuality's destructiveness in the chronicle of sins from which Christ had set me free. No one knew and no one guessed. I was sure no one wanted to hear. Friends quite unaware of my own experience would confide that they could never trust the person who had been homosexual. I had no desire to be a spiritual exhibitionist. I felt no compulsion to tell my story to everyone, but I longed for Christians to have compassion and to be willing to understand and help. I found the wall still still there, dividing me from those I wished to love, pronounced clean by the temple priest, but I was still a leper in the other's eyes. The fear of having my past discovered shadowed me until I talked with my pastor one blustery winter day. I listened, amazed as he spoke about the problems homosexuals face when they wish to abandon their sin and allow the Lord's forgiveness and cleansing to change them. If only you knew the whole story, I blurted out. I stared into the fire, afraid to meet his eyes and see the shock and disappointment in his face. Afraid that his compassion was only theoretical, I told him of my five-year struggle to be free, not only from the act and the desire, but from the guilt of homosexuality as well. Midway through my account, his wife joined us and listened as attentively as he. Coming out of homosexual relationships, rejecting them and committing my life to Christ, I told them, it's only the beginning of the answer. Knowing God's forgiveness and experiencing the power of the Bible to renew my mind and channel my desires is the second step. I also needed to know that someone besides the Lord Jesus could know my past experiences and yet choose to love and accept me without condemnation. But the church, I told them gingerly, had made the problem of coming out more difficult instead of easier. Many Christians are not willing to practice Christ's love and forgiveness themselves. They can't offer total restoration to the homosexual. Homosexuals are not vermin, whose very presence carries the threat of plague, I said. I realized that the image was strong, but it's essentially true. They're human beings, longing for love and for the human touch, hurting for a healing that the church can minister to them if it will. At last, I dared to look into the faces of my friends. I saw tears in their eyes, and I saw their arms extended. Then, without warning, both were hugging me. The final dividing wall had been broken down by honesty, by acceptance, and the true love of Christ. When other battles ensued, battles against ignorance, battles against intolerance and fear, I had at my side strong champions of God's grace who believed and loved and accepted me. With them, with God's word, and with the presence of the indwelling Christ who promised to live out his life in me, I could confidently step out of the closet into the light. Homosexuality is not the unpardonable sin. The only unpardonable sin is unbelief. If you struggle with this issue, put your whole trust in the Lord Jesus and ask Him for deliverance. If you are a Christ follower, perhaps there are former homosexuals among your friends and in your church. Even if you don't know who they are, you can encourage them by making it known that when God cleans up a sinner, that person is not only clean enough for God, he or she is clean enough for you. Thank you for joining us today for another Verse by Verse. 
Our leader is pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like to hear today's class again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can find today's broadcast there, and if you go to the archives page, you'll find many previous lessons. That's versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the conclusion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear it in its entirety, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours so that you can order a CD or a cassette. That number again is 727-441-1714. In his 1954 novel, Lord of the Flies, William Golding told the allegorical story of a group of boys stranded on a small island. It describes the depths of selfishness and violence to which they descended without any restraining influence. In many ways, it is a good illustration of what we are beginning to see in the world at large as God gradually removes His restraint.